I'm going to read out of the book of Matthew. You're welcome to turn your Bibles there. I'm going to read chapter uh, 5, verses 1 through 3. You can look on the screen also as we dive into a new message series on why aren't you happy. So many people want happiness, but they can't obtain happiness. So then this message series on why aren't you happy today gives us the blueprint on how to be happy. It's called the Beatitudes. I call it the attitude to be in. So today's message is calling being happy in a world that's not. Being happy in a world that's not. How can you have lasting happiness that is in spite of what you're going through? Jesus shows us how in the Beatitude, the attitude to be in. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, it reads this way. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Father, thank you today for your word, and it's a lamp and it's a light. And I'm thankful for the men and women that are here, watching by the way of the internet, that will have hearts that are receptive, ears to hear your word today. And Lord, we're never going to be the same because we've been in your presence. Not because we've met with a man, but God, we've met with you. And we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. And all God's men and women said, amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you're really good looking and sit down. Would you do that? You're really good looking. Worship team, you are good looking. Give the worship team a round of applause. Would you do that? Now, let me just ask you a question this morning. How many of you would like to have an explosion, an explosion of happiness in your life? Can I see your hands this morning? All of us. How about an explosion of health, peace, prosperity? And the, oh, come on, we got the hands up. How, how about the, the things of God, the blessings and promise of God? All of us want those things. They're found in the Word of God when we apply them to our life. I've heard people all my adult life say these words, I just want to be happy. But what would it take to make you happy? Happiness for most people is getting what they want. But the longer you live, the more you get what you want, the less you want what you got. It's true. So we begin an adventure into this message series on why aren't you happy from the greatest message ever preached by the greatest person who ever lived, Jesus of Nazareth. It's the Sermon on the Mount, the attitude to be in, God's blueprint to a successful life. These, what I'm going to share today with us, are God-given principles that will cure your home, your marriage, and your life, and will bring you lasting joy and happiness. Here's the facts. Jesus Christ is in the happiness business. Do you know he ordained happiness by performing his first miracle at the wedding feast of Canaan in Galilee when he turned the water into wine? How many know that was a joyous celebration when the water was turned into wine because they ran out of the juice. They were so happy that he turned that water into wine. And he was criticized by the religious stuff shirts of his day for doing it. It reminds me of the story of the two men. One was a Catholic priest. The other was a Baptist minister. They got into a head-on car automobile accident. Both cars completely demolished, completely totaled. But thankfully, both the, the Catholic priest and the Baptist minister got out of the car without a scratch or an injury on them. They both looked at their demolished vehicles and they were stunned and they came to the unison that this was a divine hand of God and a miracle. Both the, both, I don't know why you're clapping for that. I'm just telling the story. But both the 
Both the, the Catholic priest and the Baptist minister, they said to one another, this is a miracle. The, the Catholic priest said, this is a sign from God that we are to be friends for life. As the, as the Catholic priest looked in the back of his car that was demolished, he noticed a bottle of wine that was unbroken. He pulled it out and he literally told the Baptist minister, this is from God. We're to drink and to be forever friends. So he uncorked the top. He gave it to the Baptist minister. The Baptist minister took two of the biggest drinks of that bottle of wine you could possibly drink. He gave it back to the Catholic priest. The priest grabbed the bottle, put the cork back on top, and he handed it back to the Baptist minister. The Baptist minister said to the Catholic priest, aren't you going to enjoy our good fortune and share with me the wine? And the Catholic priest says, no, I'm going to wait for the cops to come. Some of you get it later. It's just a joke. You're not to clap that they became friends. You're to clap that somebody's getting locked up. I think that Jesus was in the joy-filled business. As a matter of fact, the religious people have trouble with laughing in church. Religious people get a little uptight when people start having joy-filled conversations and they're supposed to love God. Do you know if you have religion on you and you've got a face that you've got just enough religion on you that your face looks like a poison bulldog baptized in pickle juice? You are not a good advertisement for the kingdom of God. Friends, it was Jesus who gave us three cheers. He said, be of good cheer, I've overcame the world. Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. When the angels sang over Bethlehem's manger, they said, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Do you know the closing picture in the book of Revelation? We see a church strong and mighty, not a bunch of wimps. We see victorious warriors for the Lord standing on the sea of glass, singing in victory every tribe, every every kindred and every tongue singing in triumph. The gospel begins with a song and it ends with the song. Yes, we have in Christianity discipline. Yes, we have trials. Yes, we have tribulations. But if we lose our joy, if we lose our happiness, we've lost our Christian identity. I want you to see some principles in the word of God today that will help you have lasting joy because some of you have the look right now as desperate as a stowaway on a kamikaze airplane. That's desperate. And you need to get rid of your desperation and get joy filled because God is the giver of joy and happiness. Can somebody thank the Lord for that today? So let's ask the question again. If, if God's asking you one-on-one, -on -one, what do you want out of life? Most people's response echoes the same. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. So what would it take to make you happy? Are you really happy? If so, why? And if not, why not? What change in your life would it take to make you completely happy? If you arrive to where you're going, are you going to be happy when you get there? You need to look at those people who go, have gone where you think you want to go and find out if they're happy when they got there. You'll realize the ladder of success was leaning perhaps on the wrong wall. You might see friends and family members, loved ones. They're unhappy. They're unfulfilled. So what do we do as good people and want to help people? We step in and try to create some type of happiness for them. But understand, friends, you cannot give what you do not have. That's why happiness is an inside story. It begins inside of us. It's not your position that makes you happy. It's your disposition that makes you happy. It was the Apostle Paul singing in the jail in Philippi in the midnight hour with his backs 
split wide open, singing unto the Lord, joy filled more than many people in the churches across America today. So it tells us it's not where we are that makes us happy, but it's what we are that makes us happy. That's why happiness comes when we stop worrying about all the trouble we have and we turn that around and we start to have a thankful heart and thank God for the trouble we don't have. Many times the enemy's lies and starts to put our focus on what we don't have, what we didn't get, what went wrong in our lives, what the problems we're going to. But I'm encouraging you to flip the script. Start to thank God for the good things he's given you and thank God for what he did not give you. Thank God. If you think you got a difficult life, then I would encourage you to go into any hospital in the city. Go into the cancer ward. Go into the ICU chamber. You'll see men and women gasping for their last breath. And when you get out of those doors as I had for many times the last 20 plus years of ministry, I thank God for the health and the joy that God gives to his son. God will give it if you got a thankful heart. So I want to do something today. I want to look at some things in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, that we can pull some truth out of these passages. And there are four truths I want to pull out of there. The first one is this. Jesus said something interesting. He said, and seeing the multitudes. What did he do? He was looking upon the people of that day with his omnipotent eyes. And he was x-raying their lives. He saw their hurting hearts. He saw their suffering. He saw their anxiety. He saw their fears, their worry, their crisis. And I have wonderful news. The God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he can see what you're going through today. He can see your needs today. The God who has called the stars by name and flung them against the backdrop of the night, he can see what you have need of today. He can see your issues of health because he is the great physician. He can see your marriage crisis because he is the mighty counselor. He can see what's been holding you back and keeping you from fulfilling your destiny because he is a great deliverer and he is a way maker. He can see your financial struggle because he is the Lord who gives power to get wealth. He can see your issues with your wayward children. He is the God who saves the entire family according to Acts 16 31. He can see the things you can't see, the things you're apprehensive about. He can see them and he's making the crooked places straight for you today. If he could sit beside you in that seat today. He'd put his arm around you and he'd say, don't worry, child of mine. I'm your father. I'm with you and everything's going to be all right. And then the Bible says something strange. It says, then as, as he went up, he went up to a mountain. I like that because anytime God's showing us to go somewhere, he always wants us going up. He went up to a mountain. Do you know, friends, that the Word of God has a message that principally comes from five different mountains? I'll go over them quickly. The first mountain is Mount Sinai. It's where God gave the people of God and the nations of the world civil law and authority of what to do and what not to do. It's called the Ten Commandments. It was God's blueprint for a fantastic society. So look at what we've done for God's blueprint. We threw it out of the public schools in the 1960s. You know why? Some of you weren't born then, but it's, they threw it out because they said, lest it become a source of moral guidance. But the results are in. 
Public schools in America have become blackboard jungles. We're no longer thinking to ourselves, uh, how can it be? We're thinking, oh God, let it not be in me. Let it not be in our city. Let it not. They're happening all over America. Violence, abuse, uh, uh, school shootings, one after another. Why? Because when you take the law of God out, the law of the jungle comes in. Who needs moral guidance when you've got 275,000 students going to school in America each day? Not with a backpack or a bike but going to school with a gun or a knife on them. Who needs moral guidance when a thousand teachers go to the hospital each month because they are attacked by one of their own students? The Bible describes a generation that thinks themselves to be wise. They have become fools. It says in another location, righteousness exalts any nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's why when you go up to the mountain of God, he tells you what to do and what not to do. He says, this is the way, walk there in it, and he tells tells you how to have joy, how to have peace, get back to God, back to the Bible. This still works and this still brings hope. It's the mountain of God. And I'm not talking about the law of God. I'm talking about when God gives you the grace to follow his ways. That's a mountain to uh, uh, go to. There's another mountain. It's Mount Calvary. The message, your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Friends, never forget, there's no other method a man or a woman can be saved other than through coming through Jesus Christ and his cross. Never forget that. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, I am the door, and no man comes to the Father unless I bring him through. You cannot be saved by giving to the poor. You can't be saved by works because the work has already been done. You are saved by works, but not your own. It was the work of Calvary. It's a finished work. That means the grace of God is finished. The healing of God has been finished. The joy of the Lord has been finished. Everything that you need for godly living has already been accomplished because what he did at Calvary. When you go to Calvary, all things become new. Your old passes away and you become new. When you become to Calvary, you get healing and wholeness and soundness, safety and deliverance. We call it salvation, but God calls it sozo. He calls it healing, preservation, soundness, safety and deliverance. That's the work of Calvary. Not by your works, but by his work. Not by your holiness, by his holiness, because he is a holy God. He brought you to a place of salvation. That's a mountain of God. Do you know there's another mountain, however? It's Mount Zion. It's the symbol of the church. The scriptures say, as the mountains are around Jerusalem, meaning Zion, so is the Lord around his people. What's the message? The message is you are absolutely secure. You are in the hand of God, and no one can snatch you out of the hand of God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against you. The storms of life, they shall not conquer you. You are in the mighty hand of of God. And as the mountains are around Jerusalem, so are you secure. His angels are encamped about you to defend you and protect you in all your ways. Think about that for a moment. Do you know I just read a statistic at a CBS that Stockton, California is the 10th most violent nation in America, tied in tandem with Oakland, California. If you're not careful, you'll let the enemy bring upon you fear, bring upon you worry, we live in a violent city, but I want you to know you can be in this city, but not of the city because you're protected by Almighty God. His favor can surround you as of a shield. I say that because God's got his angels around his people to protect them and protect their families at all times when you have your trust in the Lord. Easter evening, it was two in the morning. I was woke up by Jennifer in the middle of the night. 
And she was saying, come on, baby. No, she didn't wake me up for that reason, but she woke me up. I'm teasing. But she, <laughs> but she woke me up. And this is serious. This is a true story. Uh, she woke me up in the middle of the night. And she said, Joey, wake up, wake up. The neighbor's house is on fire. There's fire trucks everywhere. I was startled. I woke up. And sure enough, I walked outside. And our neighbor's house was an inferno. It was an inferno. Our house was uh, right by each other, but we have a row of these huge cypress trees, 25 to 30 feet high because we live in an older home. And so as I was walking outside and I opened our gate to, because I was thinking the fire is raging. I got to see if our neighbors are okay. And I got to make sure so the fire trucks can come in and put out that fire. If it comes over to our house, I immediately started to panic and fear started to grip me suddenly. And as I was walking out and I opened up our gate, I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. It was so strong. It almost knocked me to my knees in the middle of the night. And the Lord spoke to my heart and says, I've got angels as tall as those trees from one end of your property to the other. I've rebuked the devourer for your sake. I'm telling you what, it brought such strength to me. I rebuked the devourer for your sake. And I watched that inferno leap off that roof, hit our trees and literally bounce off our trees and go back to the roof again. Thankfully, as we went over to the neighbor's house, they were okay. They were safe. We helped them in what their needs were. And the fire marshal looked at me and he says, this was one of the hottest fires we have ever been called on. We can't even get our instructional fires as hot as the fire was in this home. He says, I don't know, sir, how that fire being so hot didn't light up every one of those trees and light your house on fire. And I told that man, I said, sir, I'm telling you why. The angels of the Lord were camped about the righteous and they covered that property. I told my neighbor because I began to minister him. I told him about new seasons opening up because God's going to open up another door. But I also had to tell him because I had to tell how good our God is. I also had to say, I want you to understand something. When those flames were erupting on your house, they were bouncing off my property because God of heaven protects the righteous as of a shield. And the angels of the Lord took that property and said, not today, devil. I rebuke the devourer. I'm telling you, your son, your daughter, your grandchildren have a divine agent called the angels of God with their swords drawn to defend you. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. Our world may be shaking. We may be in the most violent place to live, but it doesn't matter because when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter. When you're in Christ, it doesn't matter. Can you give the Lord praise because of his divine protection? That's a mountain. It's the, it's where God surrounds his people. It's Mount Zion. There's another mountain. It's the, it's the Mount of Olives. It's where Jesus ascended into heaven. What's the message? The message is there's going to be a resurrection day because he lives. We shall also live. I want you to know that because people have gone crazy in the 21st century. Do you know, as I'm speaking, there are people here in California that pay almost a million dollars to have, this is true, I'm not making this stuff up, they, they pay almost a million dollars to have their body frozen by science. So when science creates a cure for the ailment that's taken them out of this life, they can be unthawed and live an extended life on this earth. So they pay all this money to be frozen up so science can create the cure and unthaw them and live an extended life. Friends, I got a better deal. 
My deal's absolutely free. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, give your life unto him, and your last breath here will be your first breath there. You'll have a mansion thrown in on the hills of glory, and God gives it to everyone who calls on him. Your mom will be there, your daddy will be there, your auntie, your uncle, anybody will call upon the Lord shall be at that great reunion supper. Can you hear the Lord coming? Can you hear the sound of, 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 of the Lord's rapturing of the great church? Can't you hear it? I'm telling you, the Messiah's coming. He's coming back with power and great glory. He is coming, he says, as I live, you shall live also. It's another mountain. There's the last mountain. It's the fifth mountain. It's the temple mount. It's where Christ will come back literally to this earth and rule and reign after the millennial reign, after the thousand years. Why is that important? Because the first time that Christ came to this earth, he was called a teacher. They called him rabbi. But the next time he comes, he's not coming as a teacher. He's not coming as a lamb led to the slaughter. The next time he comes, he's coming from heaven. He's going to go through the Kidron Valley. I've been there many times. He's going to go through that eastern gate. He's going to set up a throne to the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives and he's going to set up his throne on that father David's throne and of his kingdom there shall be no end. You don't serve a weak God. You're not serving a God that lets things get over on him. You serve a mighty God, a God of authority and when he comes back to this earth he's going to rule and reign. Every knee will bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means presidents will bow, prime ministers will bow, atheists are going to bow, those who rejected him, they must bow to the carpenter of Calvary. He has that type of authority. That's the God that you serve. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything impossible for God? No way, Jack. God can do it to him. There's nothing to it. He can provide and do it all because he's good like that. Can we put our hands together and thank the Lord? That's good. Now, I want to take another passage at this, uh, another pass at this, because not only did he go up to a mountain, but the Bible says he sat down. He sat down and he taught them. And some would say, yeah, he sat down that day because he was tired. No, he was not tired. He was walking from Capernaum. That's four to five hundred yards. So he wasn't tired. And people say, yeah, but he probably sat down because he's a rabbi and Jewish rabbis, even to this day, when they teach, they sit down. So he's, he's a rabbi, he's called teacher, so he's sitting down because he's a rabbi. That's not the answer in this text. The answer is he sat down because he was a king. And he was going to talk about the constitution and the bylaws represented in the kingdom of God. We say it every time we say the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, for thine is the power, and for thine is the glory forever and forever. And the scriptures say, of his kingdom there shall be no end. Friends, every other kingdom, Rome, England, America, they're going to perish. But the kingdom of God will never perish. Because the king is eternal. He's all-knowing, he's almighty, and he's all-powerful. He also sat down because he was a judge. What happens when a judge comes into the courtroom? Some of you have been locked up. Don't look at me so holy. When a judge comes into the courtroom, all rise. You stand, they sit. They make the decree, that's the law, you obey it. Jesus was not on the slope by the Sea of Galilee saying, come on guys, let's just make a deal. No, he's saying this is the deal. If you want to have happiness, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then he says something strange to me. I read this passage, and I just kind of, I think, why is this word in there? It says, then he opened up his mouth, and he taught them. And the people say, well, how could you not speak without opening your mouth? But do you know there's not one word in that Bible that's there un- unrelatable. There's not one word in that Bible that's not, not put there for us to understand. So when you study that out, it's the Greek utterance. It means to speak with calculated courage. The literal Greek phrase of the era says these words, that Jesus, when he taught that day, excuse me, he removed the curb from his tongue. Do you know there were four groups of people listening to him that day? Sadducees, Herodians, Romans, uh, Pharisees, all wanting to hear something different out of the teacher's mouth. He knew that the moment he opened up his mouth, he was going to make somebody mad and somebody glad. Somebody was going to get offended and somebody was going to get all excited. He knew the moment he opened up his mouth, somebody wasn't going to like it. But the scriptures say he removed a curb from his tongue. He spoke with power. He spoke fearlessly and he spoke with absolute authority. Friends, the greatest need for you and I as being a part of the glorious church of Jesus, we need to learn to speak the truth in love love without curbing our tongue. We have to speak God's power, God's anointing, not, not nonsense that's babble and religious condemnation and all this silly stuff that we get learned up in church, church words and all. We've got to speak God's word, the truth of God in love, not telling people what we're against, but telling people what we're for. God's for you being have an abundant life. God's for you being blessed and highly favored. God's for you being healed and made whole of all anxiety, all fear, all worry, all doubt. God's for your children being supernaturally blessed and highly favored from des- destined to generation to generation. God is for you and I being overcomers, taking territory. God is for us. He's not against us. Start speaking the truth and you'll be amazed on the results. You'd be amazed. But sometimes we think, oh, I can't, I can't tell them about Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hill number two? You guys are not even laughing today. I'm just, they were funnier in the second. Where are you going to scare them off? Oh, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to offend them. I'd rather be slapped with the truth than kissed with a lie. I just pray that I, if I tell them to go to church, really, they're going to the bar. Wouldn't you rather have them at the God's house? Or maybe you're going to the bar with them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to meddle. Stay focused, grasshopper. But I want you to understand that God says you can have happiness in spite of what you're going through because Jesus says the words blessed. Everybody say blessed. Blessed. He starts off this wonderful presentation, if you will, with the words bless. Do you know that in the last book of the Old Testament, the book is called Malachi? In the Old Testament book called Malachi, the last words in the Old Testament, the word cursed is there. Do you know the first words that pour out of the mouth of Jesus Christ is blessed, happy? You know why? Because these beatitudes describe a perfect character development. 
These are a chain of like priceless pearls put together by our creator that will make our hearts sing with joy and happiness and, and tranquility. Now, I want you to observe something. If you look at this passage of scripture, observe carefully how each beatitude rises above the next. The first leads to the second, and the second to the third. The third is not as elevated as the seventh. Obviously, the first is not as elevated as the third. The seventh beatitude is simply this. Seven is a number of completion, by the way. It, it says these words, blessed are the peacemakers. But friends, you can't not be a peacemaker until you are first pure at heart. You can be a gossip, a hellraiser, but you're not going to be a peacemaker. Notice that the blessing in every case, it says these words. If you look at your Bible or look at the screen, it says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Not blessed shall you be someday or blessed will you be when you finally go to heaven. No, blessed are. What's the message? You can have happiness right now. Happiness is not when we all get to heaven, even though that's going to be happy, but you can have happiness right now. And some of you today, you're postponing happiness you're constantly postponing it because here's what you're doing. I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when. Some of you that are single, you say, I'll be happy when I get married. <laughs> now that's one for the ages. Love is a dream. Marriage is the alarm clock. It wakes you up real fast. I'll be happy, Joey, when I get a new job. But you know what about a new job? that you have in the first job that you lost, your new job, your new boss wants you to move around for eight hours and look alive. What got you fired on the first job is what's going to get you fired on the second job if you don't look alive and clean it up a little bit. You say, well, I'll, I'll be happy when I, when I finally get to retire. No, you won't. You'll never get another day off. There's nothing good about postponing what God has for you right now. Real happiness is wrapped in this wonderful word of blessed. It's like a wagon wheel. If you can understand a wagon wheel, it's a wheel with the center hub and it's got many spokes on it. That's what God's language, the pure language of Hebrewism is. It's a wagon wheel. And this word blessed is a cornucopia of this wagon wheel. So the spokes of the word blessed of the hub says to be called, to be chosen, to be loved, to be anointed by God, to be cherished by God, to prosper in every area of your life. This wagon wheel now is available. How many of you want that? Then we need to learn these principles and it will happen for us. Because here's what happens. The person says, Joey, I like what you're saying. You're handsome too. But by the way, I want a happiness that's rock solid. I'm tired of being happy one day and then something goes wrong. Something doesn't go my way and then I lose my happiness. Joey, I want a happiness that's rock solid. The Beatitudes give it. And let me show you how. Do you know the English word for when you and I say happiness. It has its root structure in the Anglo-Saxon word hap, where we get chance or happenstance. So the obvious message in the English language, happiness is based upon chance or what happens to you. So if you're living your life with the world's definition of happiness, you're rarely going to be happy because you're going to be up one day. You're going to be down the next. You're going to be happy when they like you and you're going to be miserable when they hate you. You're going to be an emotional roller coaster because if you're talking about a definition of happiness that the world says, it's based upon chance. It's based upon circumstance. But when you open the word of God, 
Again, that wagon wheel that I talked about, it's the Greek word of makarios. It means to be blessed in every area of your life, regardless of what happens to you. So the message is clear. God's happiness is not dependent on what happens to you. It's there regardless of what happens to you. That means it's there through the storms of life. It's there through the pain of a divorce. It's there through a financial difficulty. It's there through a situation in your health. It endures the pure agony of standing beside the shallow grave of your dearest loved one. But knowing and having hope on that resurrection morning, you shall see each other again when the host of hell attack you. God's happiness will not fail you because it's rock solid. So... What does it mean if we're happy or those who are poor in spirit? What does that mean? It means as we close our time today, those men and women who are not driven by their own stuff and driven by the cares of this life. The Bible says in Isaiah 66 too, friends, on this one will I look. One who has a broken and a contrite spirit. God never despises a broken and a contrite spirit, but he despises the person who thinks that they can do it on their own and the person that thinks that they can handle it and that, that they got it together and the person that internalizes all the calamities of life and then, and then starts to bring it out to others. And God says, that's not how you become broken. You see, friends, I used to think that brokenness was a simple act of an altar call, that if you just get broken in your spirit, you'll come forward at a place of an altar and you'll break before God and you'll cry your little eyes out and you'll, you'll cry and, and you'll be emptied out. But there's a problem with that. You need to get filled with the right stuff. You may empty yourself out, but if you don't get filled with the right stuff, you're going to be right back where you were before you came to that altar. Because you've got to empty daily before the Lord of all your ailments, of all your uncertainty, of all your pain, of all the abuse, of all the betrayal. You've got to empty it out before the Lord. And then when the people see you, you're filled with the right stuff. You're not emptied out of complaints and you're not sharing out of pain and you're not taglining somebody. Pray for me. And what's wrong, brother? What's wrong, sister? And now you've got a diatribe of all this joy junk and all your offenses and all of your stuff. No, no, no. That's not who you are. And that's not who you belong to. You belong to the God of heaven who says, cast your care upon me and I shall care and sustain you. But what do we do as believers? Worship team, would you please come? What do we do as believers? We sometimes do the opposite. We let ourselves get broken and then we share with everybody our brokenness. And our brokenness should be given to God. It should be given to the Lord, not to others. Never give somebody that they're not capable of helping with. Never give somebody your problems if they're not able to facilitate the answering of your problems. Never give somebody your pain that's not equipped to handle your pain. But we're so quick to give people our pain and share about our hurts. And what happens is, friends, I want all of you to look at me. This is not out of a textbook. This is out of a lived life. When we become broken before the Lord, it's for we to get filled for our world with God. And when you truly let your life daily become broken before the Lord, 
You're not having to post all your pain. You're telling people by your life that you belong to God because you've taken that first step on the road to happiness and you've got broken before the Lord. So a world doesn't have to see that you're broken because it see it takes broken people to reach a broken world. But the broken people don't break before the world. They break before God. But some of you, you break before everybody else. You share it. You post it. You share it with people instead of breaking before God. You see, real people that love God with all their hearts, they learn this principle. You ever heard it said that the good people learn from their mistakes, but the great ones learn from others? Can we learn a principle from Jesus today? He's saying to every one of you, if you let me take your life, put it in my hands, and break it. I'll make you like me. And we'll take that first step on that road to happiness. And we'll be happy in a world that's not. Because the world is not happy. But you should be. Because you need to be filled with the right stuff. You see, you should never tell people about your pain while you're still going through it. Can I tell you? The city center is a miracle of God. 2,200 members in three months. We have people, and some of you, God bless your hearts, you've never even been over to the city center, but they're calling us from other parts of the country to come see it. Ministries are calling us from other parts of the state to come and see it. They're wanting to start them in other parts of the state. But can I tell you, friends, that didn't come through. Everything was okay. But none of you knew the time of difficulty that we had to endure to get that thing to where it is. You never heard about the days that I'd have to get in a prayer closet and cry my little eyes out because people would lie, because we didn't have no money, because it wasn't working the way that I was anticipating it to work. But see, you would see me, how was I? Blessed and highly favored. How was I sharing it? The work is already complete. You know why? Because I had to get broken before the Lord so I can be filled with eyes of faith. You see, for me to share that in the midst of that only brings forth pity. For me to share now at the result of the accomplishment brings forth faith. But some of you, you let the enemy lie to you and you're sharing in the point of your pain instead of giving that to God. I can't tell you how many nights, I can't tell you how many days where I said, God, I can't do this. This is not working. And I can't tell you how many days the Lord had to strengthen me in my distress. When I was enlarged in my distress, where God would show me those doors that I'm closing are for your protection and your family's protection. Those doors I'm opening are for generations to come. You're not seeing what I'm seeing, but because you're taking a daily breaking before me, you have eyes of faith to see what other people cannot see and go where other people cannot go because you've taken a daily breaking so you can be filled with the right stuff. You see, being broken in spirit was foolishness to the Romans. They worshiped power like many Americans. They had a philosophy, if you want to be happy, take a sword to your adversary's throat and make a wish. To the proud Pharisees, being broken in spirit was the last thing they wanted to hear. Jesus said, if you, if you want my happiness, then you got to get with me in that garden when he was alone. Scriptures say he went a little further, but he went alone. And he said, not my will, 
but thine be done. You see, friends, I hope you have ears to hear what I'm telling you. Some of you got to take that journey alone. And you can't let other people in on that journey of your brokenness. Because other people need to see your healing. They need to see the victory. They don't need to see the process of how it's made.